The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. Um, And so we are going to jump back into this word. And yes, I'm going to be wearing my vest again today. Um, because I'm going to keep reemphasizing this point, uh, is that it says in Second Peter, it says that may the Lord's grace and peace be with you in knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it talks about that. And so what happens, what it's really talking about is two kinds of grace. I'm not going to spend a lot of time re-explaining this today, but I want to reemphasize it before we start, because this is what we're basing our message really on this whole month, is the first kind of grace is the grace that saves Okay, God's grace comes. He died on the cross for us. He rose again. He saved us from our sins, right? And so we put this on, and for some people, pride gets in the way. We cannot seem to be able to get this on. Like, I don't want to receive his grace. You know, I'm a good swimmer. I don't need it. But life is hard, and the waves are tall, and eventually people start drowning, and they either drowned in discouragement, depression, frustration, all those kinds of things, or they call out for help, and they have the humility to let God come in and to save them. Did I put it on straight today? Okay, I'm, I'm always getting on the ADD people. So it's a little bit off. That's okay, though. We talked about that last week. We don't need to be legalistic, right? We just need to be saved, right? So it's a little crooked, but that's all right. The next kind of grace is an empowering grace, and it actually means divine empowerment. It's the grace that God gives us not to be saved, but to be changed. It's to become more like him. And that's really what they're talking about here. When he says grace and peace be with you, he's talking already to people that are believers. They're already Christians. And so he's not talking about just may God save you. They're already saved. He doesn't need to say that. What he's saying is that you need the grace of God to live out his calling and his purpose. You need his divine empowerment to come in and give you that ability to stand out as a light. In John, it talks about Jesus coming, and it says that he is both the life that's saving and the light of mankind, and that the light came into the darkness, and that the darkness did not overcome it. So the second kind of grace is this grace that empowers us to shine, to stand out in a dark world, to be visible, so that other people can see, hey, there's a way out of here. There's a rescue. Somebody that hasn't made it to shore yet, somebody that hasn't found Jesus yet, somebody that doesn't have hope yet, they look and they see, hey, there's a place to shine. This is just as important as the grace that saves. Because the grace that saves will save you, but if you don't get into the grace that empowers you to live a different life, a couple things will happen. One is you'll go to heaven. Two is you will live a miserable, tired, defeated life until you get there because you don't have grace empowering you to change. And so my fear and my anxiety like that I used to have where I'd hide in the closet of my house and those types of things, my alcoholism, all those things, I would still be living that but saying, I've got the grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of God, and someday I'm going to be in heaven, but my life never changes, and so I continue to live in that misery. The second thing that happens is that my wife and my family now continue to live in the misery of who I still am in my daily life. Rather than the grace of God that empowers me to actually change, and in changing now, I can become a good husband and a good father, I can begin to be of service to the people around me, and begin to gather people to the shore, pull them into safety, bring them to Jesus and show them there's another way. And so we're all in different stages of this. Okay, some of you aren't even into the life fest yet, 
most likely in this room. You haven't even really given your life to Jesus. You're still trying to figure out, do I need him? Can I make it on my own? You know, you still can get your hand up one more time above the water. You haven't drowned yet. So you're like, ah, I think I got it. Okay, the shore is a long ways. Be a point in your life where you will say, okay, I give up. I'm calling out to Jesus. And we'll be praying for you. And we'll be wanting to pull you into the boat. Okay, I pray it sooner than later so that your life can begin to experience the second part of empowered grace and you can begin to have an impact on the world around you and bring people to Jesus. Okay, but that is what we're talking about. Okay, so that's the basis of, of everything that we're discussing. And so where that becomes important is it empowers us not to be legalistic believers, but to actually live different and to shine. So here we go. This week we're talking about three different ways that God calls us to be empowered by his spirit to live differently and stand out and look different than the world. Okay, the first one is that we speak differently. So you could turn in your Bible um, to Ephesians 4.29, and I'll be reading out of the New International Version. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Don't let unwholesome talk come out, but only what's beneficial and builds others up. Whoa. Could you imagine if we actually lived that way? Could we, you imagine if the words that came out of your mouth, if the words that came out of my mouth all the time, the only words that came out were to build others up, to edify others, to encourage them, and to speak life into them. Wouldn't that be incredible? Is that the world that we live in? Is that the world that we're around? Not really. The world that we're around is full of all kinds of words that do damage. You know, when I was a kid at school, they always said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Anybody ever hear that before? Right? Such a lie. Right? I probably had lots of sticks and stuff thrown at me, lots of rocks thrown at me. When I was a kid, I don't remember any of them, but I still remember words from when I was little that people said, both good and bad, because God's given us power in our words. And so here's another scripture. This is James chapter 3. This is a longer one, so we'll go slow, and then we'll break it down. So stick with me, but we're basing our message off of not my opinion, but off of God's word, right? Because God's word gives life. So we're going to be doing quite a bit of reading. James chapter 3, starting in verse 2, it says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Stop right there. He's saying the most difficult thing to do as a human being, is to master your tongue. He just said, if you can do that, your entire body can be in check. Everything else can be done if you can figure out how to master your tongue. So that's the most difficult. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, just that little bit. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by just a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. Has anyone ever said some stuff, and then all of a sudden, there's just a raging fire going on in all of your relationships? or in certain relationships, or at your work, or somewhere. This is, you said it, and now you want to stop it. You want to take it back. But boy, there's fire started now, and it's out of your control, right? We've all probably been there. We've all probably done that, okay? I know half of you did that on the ride to church today, 
okay, and then you cleaned it up before you got in the door. That's okay, all right? It comes out all of a sudden just this rage of fire, or we say something that lights people up, it hits their emotions, it strikes them, and all of a sudden, later on, when it all calms down and everything's burned down, they're standing in the ashes of the moment, and they go, sorry, Shinta said that. Which is great, and forgiveness is good, but sometimes, even though that's the case, you have to rebuild what was there. Rebuild the relationship, rebuild the trust, rebuild the connections. And that sometimes can take time, just because it's something that came out of our mouth. And so the Bible's talking about how we need to speak differently. It says all kinds of animals, start in verse 7, all kinds of animals and birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So what he's saying here is, first of all, the part I got out of this back when I was in my major anger, just rage days many years ago, when I was a bit of a maniac, I read this verse, and it brought me total, complete freedom for the wrong reasons. Because it says right here that no one can tame the tongue. And as soon as I read that, I thought, oh, thank you, Jesus. I am free. I don't even have to try. Because your word, which is always true, says no one can do it. So I don't have to try to tame my tongue. I don't have to do anything to discipline my speech because it's impossible. And so I can just do whatever I want and say whatever I want. I'll just be under the grace of God. Right? And that's what I was kind of thinking because it gets me off the hook. And so then I began to pray because God's like, no, you actually need to change your thoughts. I said, well, how do you do it? Because I'm trying and I can't. I keep saying the wrong things and, and lashing out in anger and doing this stuff. So what do you do? And so that comes down to how we actually change our tongue and change our speaking. And so we'll get into Proverbs 4.23. It says, above all else, guard your heart for everything that you do flows from it. Matthew 12, 34, Jesus says, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In other words, what's coming out of your mouth is actually coming out of the well of your heart. This is the spring that's gushing it forth. That's been stored in there, sitting in there. And so God's call is for us to change it, and so we speak different. And it's not just anger. You know, if, if you have a lot of, uh, you know, just perverse joking, and all your jokes have to tie into something that's perverse. You know what? That's not coming just out of, out of the air. It's coming out of a heart that's dwelling on things that have a lot of perverseness in it. You know, if you're always talking about anxiety or worry, well, guess what? Your heart is full of anxiety and worry, and so now that's coming out of your mouth. But Jesus tells us not to worry. So we'll get into that in a minute, how to change it. But it's coming from somewhere. It's not coming from outside. The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say that the words of your mouth come because of, act, of things that are happening all around you. Well, that happened. Now I said this. Well, I, I, my job cut back my hours, so now I said this. It has nothing to do with that. The words out of our mouth are coming from our heart and what's stored up there. So when the anxiety or the fear or the rejection or the discouragement, the depression, the anger, the gossip, the judgment, all the things that spew out of our mouths, when it comes out, what we typically do, and I'm guilty of this times too, is I look around and say, well, it's because of that out there. But what the Bible is telling us is, no, it's not because of that out there. It's because of this in here. It's me. 
And so that leaves me stuck now. I say, okay, Lord, if it's not other things, then how can I fix it? Well, it's my mind. My mind is just crazy. I just I can't think. Well, the Bible's taking it even deeper. It's, it's our heart. It's who we are, and we've got to get in there to be able to work on and change that. And so, you know, what the Lord had shown me years ago, and, and just in my prayer time, was a hose. If anybody's ever had a hose, and you put your thumb on the end, and you try to, like, spray it, because you don't have a nozzle, and you put your thumb on, psh, okay? If you put your thumb on the end of a hose, and you try to stop it, has anybody ever actually tried to stop the water from coming out with your thumb? You just put on there, what happens? It sprays all over the place, right? Out of control. You don't even get to choose where it goes. It, well, when our heart is full of stuff and we try to just stop it, we fall hold on, huh? What happens is eventually it just sprays out all over the place onto somebody. And then it starts a problem. And so how would you actually stop it? You got to follow it all the way back to the spout, right? And that's where you turn it off. That's where you change it. And so that's taking it all the way back to the heart. And that's what the Bible's talking about, is don't try to control it here. You've got to take it all the way back and control it there. And the good news is that in order to do that and accomplish it, God, first of all, gives us grace that saves us from our mistakes. He loves us. He cares for us. He forgives us. Like Jesse's word, we don't have to struggle every day saying, oh, I'm screwed up. I'm probably not forgiven today. God doesn't love me today. He's not going to bless me today. My life is over today. Because where does that lead? That leads to this feeling of discouragement and failure and quitting. And the next thing we know, we don't even want to be at church. We don't want to be around people because, well, I'm a loser anyway and I shouldn't be here. That's not God's word to us. That's not God's heart for us. But his grace forgives and covers. And then his grace comes in and empowers us to begin to say, okay, Lord, how do I change not just my tongue but my heart? How do I do this? Because I want to speak different. I want to speak to my spouse different. I want to speak to my kids different. I want to speak at work different. This is who I want to be, Lord. How do I do it? And so we're getting into that. And, and part of that is going to be that we actually have to not only speak different, but it goes from our mouth. This is like a, a path that happens. Our mouth, and we're going backwards because it starts in our heart, but it goes to our mouth. We trace it back. Our brain Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? So we start to change what we think about, change our mind. And the Bible also says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, right? There's this thing that happens as you're thinking. It also is happening in your heart. And so there's a whole process that happens as we do that. Wow. Did you do this, Jason? Wow. Isn't that terrible? Huh? You're trying to preach and... Has anybody... Would that be awful if somebody sit in the back row yelling that stuff at me? You suck. You're the worst father ever. You're terrible. Wouldn't that be awful? Okay, but do you know that oftentimes we do that to ourselves in our head all day long? Well, I know I'm sitting at, with, at lunch with this person, but I bet you they really don't want to be here. I bet you that they're just waiting for it to get over. They probably don't really like me. Nobody really likes me. I'm trying to be a good dad, but I bet you I'm going to screw it up. My dad wasn't a good dad. I'll go up and speak, but I know I'm, I, I'll probably totally butcher it. I'll probably stutter. I'll probably forget my, what I was going to say. And we just 
all that's going on in our head is this negative. I'm not forgiven. I don't think God loves me. I screwed up again. I'm out of his blessing. All that's going on in our head all the time. And it's like, it's not external. Because if we said it external, people would say, dude, you are crazy. You got to stop talking to yourself that way. Okay, but it's here and we put it in. Let alone things that we let our mind think on that are just inappropriate or wrong or ungodly, right? But it's all going on in here. It's not outside. And so it's okay in our minds to do that. But it's not because God, the Bible says that God not only sees what's outside, but he sees the heart. God knows what we're thinking. God knows what we're doing. And so he's watching his child. He said that he loves them, that he forgives them, that he cares for them. And then we're sitting in our head saying, no, he doesn't love me. He doesn't care for me. He doesn't forgive me. God says that he wants to bless us, not to worry about what we'll eat or drink or what we'll wear. He's going to take care of us. In our mind, we're saying, I'm probably going to go broke. I probably won't be able to keep my house. I'm probably not going to have any food. I won't be able to get my shoes. Oh, I'm going to get sick. I won't be able to pay for the doctor. And God's looking down, and we're not necessarily saying that to everybody else yet, but we're thinking it, and God's looking down and saying, I'm trying to get you to have faith, start thinking about what I said about you. And so it's shifting our minds. So Colossians 3, 1 through 10, is talking about how to do this. Because we have to do this if we want our words to change and to be different than the world. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now here's the word. The word is phroneo. That's the word set. Okay? That's the actual word. So the Bible's translated. But here's the meaning. Okay, the deeper meaning of it is that you're to set, is to actually put your personal opinion, fleshing it out in action. So to set is not just to say, well, I'm going to think on this, but it's to actually put your thoughts so much that way that you actually are going to act upon it in that way. So it's a real setting. It's like, do you know what? Oh, you know, I have no, I'll, I'll give you an example of my own life. Okay, we had a store, and we were not going to make bills. We were just barely scraping by. This was years ago. Just, no, we're so dead, no money. Now, I'm reading God's word, and God does say in there that if we give, it comes back, right? And so I'm looking at my bills and look at my money, and I said, I don't think I can do it. So I told my wife, I said, you know what, we're going to give. Because I'm thinking on God's word. I'm setting my mind there. And now I'm setting my mind on it so much that it produces action. And I walk out with money that I don't really necessarily have, but I have a little, and I say, Lord, I'm putting it in. That's money. Money's hard for us, okay? Skip outside of money, okay? When I was angry with someone, I didn't like that person. They annoyed me. They bothered me. I was offended, and I'm reading God's Word, and it says to forgive and to love and to bear each other's burdens and to believe the best, and everything in my flesh and in my mind is looking at them thinking they're a bad person, they're wrong, they're, they're, they're totally a fake, and I totally don't trust them, I don't like them. But God's word is saying to believe the best. And so now I'm going to shift my mind, set my mind on, do you know what, I'm going to think the best about that person. Maybe I misinterpreted their action. Maybe that's not what they really meant. Maybe they were having a bad day. Maybe they need me to encourage them and not judge them. And I set my mind on it to the point of where my actions start to get in line with it. That's the kind of setting we're talking about. And now I call them on the phone and I say, hey, would you like to grab a coffee? Would you like to go to the movie? Would you like to come over and hang out? And the next thing I know, we're sitting around the house, barbecuing, having fun, laughing. They leave. I'm thinking, oh, that's a pretty good guy right there. And had I not shifted and set my mind on God's word, 
What would have happened is my mind would have stayed on the offense, stayed on the judgment, stayed on the problem, and within a week or two, I'd be sitting across the table from somebody else saying, have you ever noticed that that person's really not very nice? And it would have begun to come out of my mouth because my mind is set on it. My heart is set on it. That goes the same for any other area. It goes the same for uh, if you're somebody that's, uh, that's setting your mind on lustful things. Okay, they begin to then come out of your mouth, right? They begin to come out in your actions. And so it's this reverse that's happening as he's teaching us. So going on with that verse, it says, For you died. We had a spiritual death. Our old man died. God gave us a new heart. And so it says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And so it says, put to death, therefore, whatever brings to your earthly nature, whatever bring, uh, belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. It's saying, as believers, we have a responsibility to put to death things in our own heart that don't line up with God's ways. That it's our responsibility. That if I have anger, if I have lust, if I have uh, greed, if I have judgment, if I have all these things going on in my heart, then I have to put those things down. Now, how do you put it to death? You starve it. You have to starve it. You can't feed it. You can't keep thinking about it. You can't keep giving it reasons. You can't keep reanalyzing it. If I'm a worrier, and the Bible says not to worry, it says to have faith. It says without faith it's impossible to please God. Okay, then I, as a believer, have the empowering spirit of God living in me to walk in the way that he wants me to walk. And so I can put off worry, not by just saying, oh, I'm not going to worry today, but by starving the worry out. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to put my mind on the things that make me worry. I'm not going to mull it over and think about it for four hours. Well, that's hard. The phrase is put to death. Does that sound easy? It's not. What's worse is if you have something that you know can't run your life, but rather than put it to death, you just starve it to weakness and feed it occasionally. Because now it follows you around every day, begging to be fed, begging to eat, clawing at you, grabbing at you. You know, if you're dabbling in, in immoral things, oh, but not enough, it doesn't take over my life, I control it, I put it to the side, but it still comes in. If you don't kill it, it will continue to claw at your heart and at your mind all the time. You have to starve it out, shut it down, don't feed it. And that's something that you have to do in any of those areas. Bitterness. I mean, t pick an area that you may struggle in and say, if I was to starve this thing out, what would I stop feeding it? And then stop. And then begin to feed into what God has asked you to build and to have health in. Okay? Oh, I'm a drinker. I just, I drink. You know, I don't... What environment, what thoughts are leading you into that path? Starve it out. Well, it's stress. I just get so stressed. Okay, that's a step back. I drink because I'm stressed and it helps me relax. Okay. 
what's causing the stress? Is there a lack of faith? Is there a lack of peace? Is that, what's causing that? Well, and you can trace it back and say, what's the deal? What's the deal? And get back to the thing that's feeding that because God's desire for you is not just for you not to be, the Bible says don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God. It's not just that he doesn't want you to be drunk. God's big enough to handle drunk people. He handled me when I was drunk. The point is that it's a life that is smaller and less fulfilling than the life that he made you for. And unless you starve it out, you'll never have it. You won't be able to enjoy it. You won't be able to live in it. And you won't be able to stand out as a light in the world because when the world looks at you and says, well, they're just as angry, they're just as bitter, they are out there drinking, they are out there doing this, they're out there doing that, they talk the same way, they watch the same videos, they do. If you look just the same, then when they're drowning in the water and they look out and say, I need help, how will they know who you are? How will they know that you are the one that has an answer? Wow, that person forgives. I'm struggling. I need help. Wow, I'm a drunk. I'm struggling. I need help. But that guy seems to be able to handle his stress without it. Wow. Fill in the blank. This is my problem. But I've seen that person, and they've, come, they've overcome that. Wow. And that is why it's so important that we let God's not just saving grace into our life, but we really say, Lord, bring your empowering grace. Bring your spirit Cause me to change so that I can not only live in the blessed life that you have for me. The Bible says in John 10.10 that the thief, talking about the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's why he comes. But he said, but I have come that you may have life, and check this out, that you may have it more abundantly. Amen. Not just life, abundant life. Yeah, not, just getting about, not just getting by. Not just surviving, but thriving. God has full life, abundant life for you. Why? Because abundance, this always goes back to this with God, abundance gives me enough to share. Now I can give it away. Freely you have been given, now freely give, Jesus told his disciples. I can pass it on. I can give it out. Oh, I've got peace. I can pass it out. I can give it to you. Here you go. And so these are the things that God has for us. And so we're going to move on to Philippians 4, 6 through 8. We're still talking about the mind and how to work the mind because that's going to work its way back to our heart. It says, do not be anxious, Philippians 4, starting in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you ever feel like you're just being assaulted and attacked by anxiety, stress, agitation, things like that? And you're like, oh, I wish, I just wish this would stop. I wish something would guard me. I wish that I had a, a spiritual bodyguard team coming around, secret service, watching out for me. It just keeps coming. He's telling us right here how to do it. With prayer, that's talking to God. Supplication is to really, not just a quick prayer. Supplication, you're pouring it out and saying, God, this is what's going on. I'm supplicating, I'm pouring out, God, this is it. And then here's the key, because a lot of people pray, a lot of people pour it out emotionally, and then they move on. That's not faith. It doesn't activate faith. The next part of the verse says, with thanksgiving. Lord, this relationship's a mess. I don't know how to fix it. God, it hurts my heart. Lord, it stresses me out. 
God, I don't know how to go on another day with this relationship in this position. It's so hard. Please help me. And you walk away. Guess what? You're going to walk away just as discouraged, just as distressed, and just as anxious. But now at the end of that, I say, but I thank you, God, that you are a reconciler. I thank you, God, that you forgive and you teach me to forgive. I thank you, God, that you are already working on our behalf to restore this relationship. And you just begin to pray that way. Lord, I'm broke. I have no money. I can't pay my bills. I don't know what I'm going to do. God, it's so hard. And Lord, I just need you to take care of it. And you walk away. That's where your heart remains. Say, well, I pray about it, but I'm just as discouraged. Faith moves from there and says, but God, I thank you that you're my provider. I thank you, Lord, that you're looking out for me, that I don't have to worry about what I'll eat or drink or wear. And I know I'm taking what God said, and I'm repeating that and thanking him for it. If I have fear, Lord, I thank you, God, that your perfect love casts out fear. Now, I'm saying a lot of Bible verses. Okay? There's a clue there. You've got to break your Bible open. You've got to get in there and read it. I mean, I've got Bible verses down here, but half of what I'm saying is Bible verses. Like, boy, that's witty. What a great thing to say. I didn't write it. Okay? David said, your word have I hidden in my heart they may not sin against you. We've got to stuff God's word in our heart because guess what? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then you begin to speak to your situation and your problems that way. You know, oh, I've got to have a drink to relax. Well, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. God, fill me with your Spirit. So I pray, Lord, I'm so stressed. This is the only answer I have. I don't know how to do anything else. Lord, the only way I relax is pornography. Okay, well, you know that's not godly. Okay, so, Lord, this is my stress. This is how I'm going to go about this. The only way I relax is I have to yell at somebody. I have to just get it off my chest. Well, we know that's not godly. Okay, so, Lord, I want to yell at somebody. Lord, I want to do this. He's big enough to hear where you're at. And then afterwards, but Lord, I thank you, God, that you said, I can be angry, but do not sin. I don't have to actually carry this out. I thank you, God. And you begin to give him thanks. Lord, thank you for your peace. Thank you for your, and you begin to confess that and allow that to come out of your mouth. It will change your emotions. They will follow your faith. That's what will happen. And so he goes on. He gives us this last clue. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, in verse 8, Whatever is true. Now, here's where you put your mind to. I'm not thinking on this, okay? So what am I going to think on? Our mind is a machine. It wants always to have fuel running it. And thoughts are that fuel. So he tells us what to think on. He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If we do that and begin to think on that, I don't like my spouse. My spouse has a thousand problems. I hate my spouse. There's nothing good about him. Okay, if I have to go back 20 years and say the only good thing about my spouse was that at some point in their life, they loved me enough to say that they'll, they'll marry me and stick with me for my life. That's a pretty big thing. That might be the only thought I can think of. I'm going to think on it all day long. They're sticking with me. Well, that's hard because I'm not always easy. Wow, thank you, God, for that. And I just begin to think on that one thing that's what? Praiseworthy. I could praise him for this. That's a good thing. I'm going to set my mind on the thing that God said. Yes, there's a hundred things that they do wrong. And there might only be one that they do right. But God's word was, don't think about the hundred, think about the one. 
Well, but that's not reality. It is reality because that one is still real. And God is telling us the secret to peace, the secret to get rid of anxiety, the secret to living after him is to focus our mind on that one thing. I'm a failure. I'm a screw-up. Is there anything that you've done right? Well, I haven't given up yet. I'm going to think all day about how I'm not a quitter. I'm not a quitter, man. I might have screwed up a lot of stuff, but I'm not a quitter. I'm sticking with it. I keep sticking with it and keep asking God to help me. Keep asking God to help me. Keep asking God to help me. I'm sticking with it. I'm going to overcome. And we just keep rewiring our head, be transformed by the renewing of our mind by thinking on things that are noble and truthful and praiseworthy and right and just. And now what happens is, it's not just, again, the grace that saves us from bad thinking, but now is empowering us by applying his word to change our life. And now when I'm around people in the world and they see me, they see that, wow, he lives different. It's a different kind of, that's a different kind of lady. She finds peace differently. She deals with things differently. And this helps us to spread the word about Jesus and about what he wants to do in other people's lives. 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So I'm going to show you this one. I had Kyle. Where's Kyle at? I had Kyle make me this amazing Lego little house right here on no notice. And it won't even look at you can blow on it. <laughs> that's sturdy. Nice work. Let's see, that's very good. No notice whatsoever. So now check it out. Here's what we try to do oftentimes. This is my thoughts and my thinking. I'm thinking something that's wrong. I'm thinking of something with the wrong perspective, the wrong way. So I go in and say, you know, that's not a very good thought. And so we try to tweak it a little bit. Is that better? Donnie's got those contractor eyes. He's like, that's not a 45. It's going to fall. Is a 45 a real thing in contracting? And so he, um, wow, that's a no charge too. Wow, that's awesome. So I have this house. This is my thoughts, the way I think. And so what I say is, do you know what? That's not right. And so what we try to do is we try to remodel it or restage it and adjust it a little bit. I'll give you an example. Okay? The Bible tells us to rejoice in all things, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. But I don't like my job. Now, the fact that I don't like my job and I think about it all the time and I hate my job is why I get stressed out so that when I come home, I need to drink. And then I fight with my wife about drinking so then my wife doesn't like me. So then by 10 o'clock at night, my wife goes to bed and I have to go on pornography and this entire chain started all the way back because here I'm thinking about my house or about my job. This little thing in my mind. I think, well, I need to remodel it. If my job gave me a raise, that would be better. I wouldn't think about that. Well, if they tweaked this, it'd be better. I'm kind of remodeling it. If it only was just a little different, if it just adjusted. And you're just trying to tweak it. But that's not what this verse says. It says we demolish. Okay? The concept is that we take a thought that we are already having about a situation and we don't tweak it. Oh, my spouse is so terrible. 
I could never be married to them. I just need a divorce. I just hate it. And so we remodel our thought and say, but if they changed in this way, I won't think about leaving. I would just think if I, they changed in this way, then I could probably make it. See, that's a, that's a remodel. What the Bible is saying is that we actually just demolish it. We take it completely apart. We just totally destroy it. And we get rid of that thought. All gone. It's not a remodel. And then we go into his word and we get our building materials there instead of into our own feelings, hearts, and emotions. And I start to pull things out of here and say, oh, well, God says he who finds a wife has found a good thing and receives favor from the Lord. So that's how I'm going to feel about my marriage. The Bible says rejoice in the wife of your youth. So I'm going to take that and that's how I'm going to think about my marriage. The Bible says to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So that's how I'm going to think about my job. Man, I'm glad to have this job. I love this job. Well, your job's really crappy. Man, I'm glad to have this job. I love this job. Are you stupid? Everybody hates it here. I'm glad to have this job. Man, I love this job. God's blessing me. He who's faithful with little will be given much. God's for me. He's not against me. And so I'm going to love this, and I'm going to sow into this, and I'm going to do my best in this, and I'm going to build, not remodel. That's what he wants us to do. And sometimes the reason that we struggle with the same thing for so many years is because we spent years and years and years and years trying to remodel a negative thought, a wrong thought, rather than demolish it and start over. God, what do you say about this situation? What do you say about it? How do you want me to live? That's what God's calling us to do. And if we're willing to do that, we can actually make some progress in changing our heart. The last thing that we... We said we speak differently to stand out. We think differently to stand out. And this is the last part that kind of affects that whole trifecta down into our heart, is that we actually eat differently. And I'm not talking about food. A lot of us, you know, think we need to go on a keto diet for our bodies. Our minds need to go on a kingdom diet. We need to actually start putting in godly things, putting meat in our mind, living off of that instead of off of carbs. Oh, I like all the things that make me feel good when I think about them or when I consume them. I like all the TV shows that make me feel good. I like to listen to all the songs that make me feel good. I like to look at all the things that just make me feel good. I do the things that make me feel good. And we build our mind and our life and our heart and we set our eyes on and our ears on and everything on the carbs. We're consuming sugar all the time. And then our emotions and our minds and everything else is like having a heart attack all the time. <laughs> I can't drag it forward to do something valuable. Why? Because we're not feeding it meat. We're not feeding it the word of God. What does God say about it? We're not, even with our actions, doing meat. Like, I'm going to go out and serve someone, even though I'd rather watch Netflix right now. I'm going to go down and volunteer at the Pregnancy Resource Center. I'm going to go down and volunteer with the homeless, like what Sheldon does. I'm going to go down here this Saturday morning, even though I'd rather sit at home and watch another Netflix or go golfing. Not that any of those things are bad, but an overabundance, right? We have ice cream bars at our house right now, Krista buys them, and she just left, so I can talk about this with my daughter. She bought these ice cream bars, which I introduced her to. Has anybody had these Magnum uh, ice cream bars from Haagen-Dazs? I think Haagen-Dazs makes them. Who makes them? They're called Magnum. Oh, my gosh. They are ridiculous. Unbelievable. Every bite you could die from, probably. I mean, it's just outrageous. So I bought it. It was so good. So I gave one to Krista, and she buys them and eats at least one every day now. Like every day. She's like, Dad, we have to get rid of these. 
I can't stop eating them. I'm like, you keep buying them. You keep buying them. And she keeps doing it. She's watching a show. She showed us a YouTube video of this lady that's addicted to ice cream bars and she's dying. And she eats like, no, she literally is. She's dying. She eats like, uh, what was it? She eats, I don't know, it's like a hundred and something of them a month. And she's just getting super obese and she's dying. And so we're watching it at the counter, you know, Carrie and her, and they're watching it. She's like, yeah, mom, she can't stop eating them. She'll eat two, three, four a day or a, an hour. She just eats them and eats them and eats them. And they help her with stress. They help her with anxiety. She's, she loves them so much. And so you're watching this little documentary. And finally, Carrie looks over and she's like, Krista. And Krista's actually sitting there eating another ice cream bar. <laughs> she's like, you're doing the same thing. She's like, I need to stop. So she's asked me to please finish eating all the ice cream bars. I open the freezer and there's like six boxes full of ice cream bars in there. I'm like, I can't do this. But if we're just consuming what makes us feel good through our eyes and through our ears and through our actions, what will happen is that our spirit will become very self-centered and selfish and we'll begin to make all of our decisions that way and live that way. So we have to feed ourselves things that make us strong and do that. Jackson, we were at the beach uh, last week and he buys Dippin' Dots. Anybody had Dippin' Dots? All my family's problems revolve around frozen things. But Dippin' Dots, he goes, Dad, can I get some Dippin' Dots? I'm like, I am not buying Dippin' Dots. I'll say, if you want Dippin' Dots, you buy them. He's like, fine. So he has his allowance. So he goes in there, walks out, and he's got a thing this tall of Dippin' Dots. And he starts eating them, and I look at him, and he goes, this is so not worth it. I said, what do you mean it's not worth it? How much was it? And he's like, $7. Because we're at the beach. I said, you paid $7 for that? And he goes, yeah, they're trash. I go, they're trash. He goes, yeah, they're awful. I hate them. I go, then why do Because he buy every time, every single time there's Dippin' Dots. Jackson comes over and says, can I get some Dippin' Dots? Since he's a little kid, every time. And every time I ask him, how's the Dippin' Dots? Same answer. They're trash. And so this time I asked him, I said, why do you keep buying Dippin' Dots and wasting your money on Dippin' Dots when you don't even, they're not even good? He said, because I keep thinking they'll be good the next time. <laughs> a lot of us live our life that way. Why do you keep doing that? Why do you keep going to that as an answer? Why do you keep going back to that? Because I keep thinking it'll be better for me the next time. I keep thinking it'll help the next time. Wake up! It's not getting better the next time. When I was driving Uber, I'm not doing that anymore. When I was driving Uber, there's a guy I took down to Rainy Street downtown. He's going down there to party and have fun. He's with his friends. And we end up in a conversation about the Lord, and his two friends get out. And, it's, you know, they were mad, and they leave. And I'm talking to him. He's like, man, I don't even want to do this. Go down here and party and get drunk and chase girls and stuff. I said, what are you doing it for? He goes, man, every morning I get up on Saturday. He goes, I feel like my life is a coffin. Like, I just live in, the, in death. I said, then why do you do it? He goes, I don't know. I keep thinking it'll be better the next time I come out. Because everyone else is doing it and everyone else acts like it's so exciting and fulfilling and makes such a great life. But you know what? They all are looking that way on the outside and inside. They're chasing things that don't fulfill. And so what we consume matters. What we consume in our media, in what we read online, in what we listen to, in the voices that we allow into our life. All of these things matter because they are going into our heart. They become the blocks that our mind uses to build with. 
These are the things I'm always watching on TV. These are the things I'm always thinking about. These are the things I'm always reading. These are the things that I always talk about and that I'm, I'm listening to. These are the things I'm always consuming. They come in, they fill us up, and then we wonder why our mind keeps on building houses out of the same stuff. The way out that God shows us is to consume differently. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. If we consume, we spend some time in worship, we spend some time in prayer, we spend some time in the Word, we put on a TV show, not a Christian show, it doesn't have to have Jesus on it. We put on a show, though, that uplifts and builds us instead of just all death and violence, fear. Oh, the shows I watch are scary. Okay, how's that doing for you? Well, my life's full of fear and anxiety. Okay. You realize... Your mind is building with the blocks you're giving it. And you can change that by changing what you're consuming. See, that's the path that God gives us. And you take six months and you put yourself on a kingdom diet and you start watching things that are about faith and hope and overcoming and love and the goodness. It doesn't even have to be Christian, but of what people are doing to serve and love each other. Great feats. You can go on Netflix and watch biographies about people climbing mountains, doing all kinds of amazing things. And you watch. All of a sudden, the fear starts to go away, confidence starts to come in, things start to get built up because you're consuming differently, your mind's building out of different blocks. And then guess what? You start speaking. Someone's in a terrible situation. Instead of speaking the fear that you used to speak, you say, well, do you know what? I bet you you could overcome that because I watched a show and this guy climbed a mountain. It was really cool. And it changes how you speak. And now that change in speech changes how that person lives because guess what you're living differently you look different than the world and god says wow you're my child you're starting to look like me you're starting to act like me you're starting to talk like me and it's in our control it doesn't just happen because we're christians it happens because we take actions that follow in the steps of god we set our mind on it to the point where we begin to live that way amen Let's close our eyes and pray. Father, we just thank you for your word, and I just pray right now, God, that as we go about our daily life, Lord, help us to do these three things, God. Help us to consume differently. Lord, to make some choices in our life. If you want, I'm consuming this, but are these the blocks I want to build my thinking and my thoughts with? And Lord, if they're not in line with your word, God, if they're not in line with whatever's praiseworthy and noble and right and just and good, Lord, it's not those types of things, God. Then let us just say, you know, I don't need to build out of that. I want some good lumber. I don't have to take whatever's on the pile. I'm going to go in and get some good lumber. Lord, and to build well, Father, with what we consume, God. And then let our thoughts, Lord, as we think and meditate, Lord, even if it's hard, God, your grace empowers us. Help us to think upon good things. Not think upon worry that I may not make it this week, but think upon thankfulness, Lord, that I made it last week, Amen. that you were with me. God, not think upon negative, Lord, that my spouse is terrible, but think upon positive that they haven't left and they're still with me. Lord, help us just to think on the good things you've put in our lives. And so, Lord, ultimately, as we speak to people and talk to people and engage with people, God, that they will see and they will hear such a difference that they will say of us what they said of Jesus, 
that the life and the light has come into the world and the darkness cannot overcome it. Lord, hope that to be our story. Lord, as we try to pursue and to live like you, Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.